o'clock is our prayer meeting. I'm going through Second Timothy as we speak, and so uh, we're having a good. We have a good time every Sunday night. Bob can vouch for that, and so uh, he's a prayer warrior. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going as I promised. I'm going to I'm going to try to put 50 pounds into a five pound bag tonight. So we'll see how that goes. I didn't give you a handout on on purpose because if I did, I know I would miss too much. I'd just confuse you. So I'm just going to skip like a rock over the top of many things. And uh, let me let me kind of run you through where we've been. Um, let me back up. Um, I'm not going to do that to you. Um, where we were last week <clears throat> when we got together um, is let me. Sorry, here we go. So where we've been, we've talked about how heresy uh, begins and ends um, with Satan, and there's nothing new under the sun. And we talked about the biblical devices that destroy biblical unity. That's in essence what we talked about uh, for the last couple weeks. Uh, and and so tonight, uh, there's some premises that we need to start with. And I'm going to talk to you about. Um, I'm going to get Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 17. I thought I had I had a lot of different directions I could go. I have a lot of material that I'm not going to get into this week. I'll probably come back uh, next week. We have a session uh, planned on on um, uh, I, I believe uh, principles of Bible say the next week after that will be dispensations. When I come back, I will probably touch on this subject one more time. Then we'll have a season of QA, and then in August we start another session um, on. Um, it's escaping me exactly what the subject is now. I have to go back and look. But we have a whole other uh, subject coming up in in August as well. So um, tonight I want to just go to Revelation chapter 17, which may sound like a strange place to start, but it really helps me just kind of set the tone for for this subject based on what we talked about last week, dealing with um, in the last two weeks about knowing the real thing, having the authentic. Uh, if you want to know what what is false, start with what's authentic, and you'll know a phony. You'll spot a phony. At Revelation chapter 17, uh, this is a very important chapter. All the chapters, obviously, in Revelation are important. This is a really good chapter to help us, you know, process some things um, in regard to Satan and his coming kingdom, the Antichrist, and so on and so forth. And the reason I take you here is you, you'll often hear the term mystery Babylon religion. The word mystery Babylon religion isn't found in the Bible, but the phrase mystery Babylon uh, the great mother of harlots and the harlots and abominations of the earth is found in your Bible. And that's why that, that phrase, mystery Babylon religion, there's a system that is religious uh, that Satan partners with. And so because I have limited time, I, I decided that instead of getting in the weeds, and, and I, when I come back uh, uh, toward the end of June, 1st of July, I will get in the weeds a little bit more, maybe get into some specific different nuances to what various... Um, faiths believe uh, and maybe and i'd like to have one specifically on the charismatic movement as well um but actually those are in my as i was praying about this that's that's kind of the the residue those are kind of almost i wouldn't say distractions those are kind of those are kind of fruit off the tree the the thing that's most i think important for us to grasp is biblically what is important to god when he wants us to know what to look out for uh you'll figure out the, the silliness of the charismatic movement. You'll figure out, you know, that Church of Christ is baptism regeneration. You'll understand that, that the JWs 
are putting their faith in the Watchtower organization. You will, all of those things, you know, we can talk about those and I can lay that out. Uh, we can figure out that, you know, Hinduism is really just a mystical religion that is, is just an advanced form of paganism or another form of paganism. So those are all things that we can talk about. But tonight I'm not going to do that uh, because I want to give you the root. The root is what is important. Uh, and then a lot of these other things are just are just offshoots of that. And so and so let's let's start with that. So Revelation chapter 17 um, and this and really this was really one of the things that influenced me was uh, Jay Boffman at Vision Conference in April when he was here. We were just hobnobbing, talking about something offhandedly. And and, uh, and as we talked about uh, some of the, the geopolitical situations in the world, um, he said, you know, Brian, it's just so amazing to me how no one is talking about Rome. You know, uh, you know, no one's talking about that. And when he said that, I thought, you know, he's absolutely right. Nobody's talking about Rome. But the Bible talks about it. And the Bible puts that prominently in the end times. Uh, and so if we're going to talk about that, we need to understand why. We need to understand the difference between Bible-believing Christians and this, uh, this what I'll call paganism that we see here in Revelation 17. Uh, well, there's only other, one other thing I can say other than paganism. That's Satanism. So you only got two things here to talk about. And so um, let me jump right into it. Revelation chapter 17. I was going to read just verse 5, but let's just back it up to verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, uh, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet uh, color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication." Uh, and verse 5, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou now here you don't have to guess what all this is he tells you the beast that thou saw uh, sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and goeth into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is so the, this is obviously the beast the antichrist you even got perdition there son of perdition so you know who we're talking about. We're talking about the, the rise of the Antichrist and his uh, subsequent rule on the planet midway through the tribulation. And here is the mind of the, that hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth. And is of the seven, the seven, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. So there's those ten horns. They're ten kings uh, which have received no kingdom as yet. So they're kings without a kingdom. 
But they do have power, right? But receive power as kings for one hour with the beast. So this beast and these uh, these players that have power, king-like power, come together, and they have one mind. Uh, these have one mind and shall give their power and their strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and they uh, that are with him are called and chosen. And faithful, and he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So the waters there are, you know who that that is. That's the peoples, that is the the peoples of the earth, the multitudes and the nations and the tongues. That's all the different peoples of the planet. Uh, the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their heart to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And a few weeks ago we had some discussions about what that city is. Is it Rome or is it it Jerusalem? And I gave you my mind on all of that. That's today. Do anybody remember? Where is it today? Rome, right? Where is it today is Rome. Midway, but we see here in Revelation 17, there's a time in which the, the, the woman gets destroyed by those, those kings. And when that happens, uh, it is possible, I believe, because Satan is going to sit, his, he's going to sit at the abomination of desolations midway through the tribulation in what city? Jerusalem, right? He's going to pretend that he's God. And he's going to feign that he is God. He's even going to have a head wound and everybody's going to, you know, wander after him and so on and so forth. So, Okay, what, you're like, I mean, Brian, that's all like prophecy. Yeah? What if that prophecy's like three and a half years away? I mean, it's pretty quick. So you kind of have, should have a little understanding. I mean, just what, last year, two years ago, King Charles presided over the Commonwealth Games, and they literally rode a woman, rode a beast into the Commonwealth Games, a huge mechanical beast, robotic beast. People out worshiping it and singing and dancing and crazy. It's like, wow. Anybody see that? How many of you saw that? One, two, three, four, five. So you, you look that up on YouTube. You think it's like, are you like, like, no, I'm not even talking about like, sort of like, could be like, no, I'm talking about Europa, the whole thing, a lady riding a beast into a stadium full of people and King Charles getting up, who is now King Charles, he's Prince Charles at that time. Getting up and thinking, this is a wonder. This is a wonderful thing. This is great, because of course, Britain, they kind of like to think that they still have influence around the earth. So, uh, but anyway, I digress. I'm getting off. That's a little geopolitical. But the point being is that is that this stuff. There's a reason this is in the Bible, and there's a reason for all of us Americans. Right? We're all used to. America, as old Bush used to say, <laughs> we, you know, democracy and democracy. I mean, all of us our whole life have heard democracy, democracy, and then this all of a sudden, like someone hit the switch, clink, and now we're all talking about elitism, 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 all these people these that rule the earth and BlackRock and, you know, and you don't have any power unless you're Elon Musk and, you know what I'm saying, or one of these guys that have a lot of money in their pocket. Like, what happened all of a sudden? What happened to... You know, everybody could just work their way up and the system was even, you know. Well, things are changing, folks. That's what's happening. And uh, <clears throat> and so it's good to understand how that works. 
Um, because if there's any anything you want to understand, you want to understand this religious system and how it it, it hates you. Uh, it hates you, and it always has hated Bible believers for the last 2,000 years, and actually before that. Uh, if you were at the Park Sunday, right, and I mentioned uh, a prophet named Elijah standing up, right, and to the prophets of Baal, what was going on there? Well, there was an influence on Israel, the ten tribes of the north, which also had influence on the uh, Judah and Benjamin in the south. <clears throat> and this this specifically mentioned there uh, in First um, Kings 18 is Baal. And Ashtaroth, which if you were like tracking with me in my text in Judges, that's exactly the same gods that were being a problem in Judges, which were exactly the same gods that they were struggling with in Egypt. Different names, perhaps, but same things, uh, different day. And so there's this there's a system. It's a it's a religious system. And let me hop into this or time's going to going to run out. So let me just lay some groundwork here. The first thing that we got to remember is that we worship the one true God, and that is the God of the word of God. And uh, we are against the work of Satan. So uh, we do not worship Satan, and we do not worship his fallen angels. Um, but we all struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's why we need the Holy Ghost in us to help us, and to, obviously to seal our soul till the day of redemption. Um, that is mandatory. <clears throat> and so... Um, Ba- uh, the, the thing that Satan, as we saw last week, when he lies to us, though, he's going to try to twist the scripture. You know, not twisted sister, it's twisted scripture. And then then you get into twisted sister. That's what we got today. I mean, it's like, what happened to everybody? You know, I thought D. Schneider was a parody, but now there's men walking around that say they're women. They look like D. Schneider. For those of you old folks that remember him in the 80s, uh, it's like, what in the world? And now people don't even know what gender they are. That's satanic. Um, and so... Babylonian religions, in essence, worship Satan. That's all, there's no there's no two ways around it. Um, and part of that, if you go back and read some of the abominations uh, that that will go on, and the abominations that did go on, so you, you know nothing new under the sun. Um, bow down and worship me, right? Uh, it's a different god, but same premise in Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah. You bow down and worship, or else else meant you got tossed into the fire. Just like the fires of Molech, God got mad. The prophets, he says, quit sending your, quit burning your children in the fires of Molech, right? Quit trying to earn favor with Baal by burning your children up as human sacrifices. They were offering their children as human sacrifices. Quit worshiping Astaroth, the fertility goddess. Quit baking, in Jeremiah, quit baking cakes to her so that you can be blessed. Worship the one true God. Quit, quit putting another God in your pocket. Right now, we do that as Christians. We say, oh, we would never do that, but Christians in America even do that. We we trust in something other than, uh, you know, we need we need a reminder on our money that says, "In God we trust," because Americans, especially, will start, and not just Americans, my brothers all around the world. I mean, we all need money to do ministry, and then we start trusting in money instead of God. Right, so we got to trust the one true God. Israel had to trust the one true God, and of course, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the modern cults, and I'm just kind of flying over things real fast. The modern cults are really offshoots of just twisted doctrine that have been around for centuries. And we could talk all day about that. As you look at the worship of self, the Eastern philosophy, the New Age philosophies, the humanistic philosophies uh, are just philosophical, uh, you know, mindsets that 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 are uh, based in the pride of life. Um, You know, the Babylonian religions often focused on the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. 
Uh, and then there's the worship of creation, the baser things that get into environmentalism, materialism, and paganism. And they all, as I mentioned last week, they all kind of go together. And so that brings me to, the, to where I want to go today. Now, when we talk about worshiping the one true God, it's the God of the Bible. He created all things. He's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is all God and all man. The Holy Spirit of God is the third person of the Godhead, and he lives inside of us the day we get saved. Our souls are sealed to the day of redemption. We have a real adversary named Satan, and he really wants to stop the forward progress of the Word of God in the local church. And our salvation is in Christ. His name means salvation. We put all of our eggs in his basket, and he has established the local New Testament church uh, as a pillar and ground, the pillar and ground of the truth until Jesus catches us away which is what's going to allow for what we saw in Revelation 17 as a false spirit, which has already been working, right? The spirit of Antichrist's death already work and has been working and is still working over time as we have the technology for a faux Holy Ghost, which is the Internet, which is a spiritual force. Right now it's Wi-Fi. You don't even have to have wires. It's a, literally a spiritual element that we're all dealing with that brings information, knowledge, tree of knowledge to everybody in the planet so that this whole process can get underway. So there's a lot of things that, that we can see. That, I mean, you don't even have to, you know, anyone can see that. We all understand that. And that just tells us that the return of Christ is, it's coming. You know, it's like when I was a kid, oh, they've been saying that for centuries. Well, hey, since I've been alive, there's a lot of things that have changed. I mean, a lot. We didn't have the Internet. I mean, we barely had remote control television when I was born. We didn't have cable television until I was later on as a kid. And we didn't have cell phones. And now it's just like, I mean, it's a completely different world. It's, it's amazing. I remember when I, in, in the, in the early 80s when I got saved, I would wonder, how is, how is all this going to come to pass? Because we didn't have the technology in place. I mean, I didn't know what technology was going to look like, but now I do. And so uh, it's, it's fascinating. And we believe that we have eternal life, right? We know that, that eternity is coming, and ultimately we're already eternal. So, hallelujah to you. So the primary religious uh, system that I want to focus on is, is this Babylonian religion. And <clears throat> I'm going to cut to the chase here, cut through some stuff to get to where I want to go. The Bible tells us in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear. That's the first thing we have to understand is that we have hope where others don't. And um, and by the way, when we talk about comparative religions, and I was looking up the word religion. I never did this until today. You know, it's only found one, two, three, four, five times in the whole Bible, the word religion. And that's why I told you Mystery Babylon religion isn't actually found in there. The, the reference to Babylon and that false religion is found in is in what we've read and throughout the Bible, but the actual word religion is only referenced five times. Um, in Acts 26, 5, it's dealing with the Jews' religion. Paul's saying our religion, referencing the Jews' religion. In Galatians 1, 13, it literally says the Jews' religion. In Galatians 1, 14, it says the Jews' religion. So first three mentions in the New Testament and the, in the Bible dealing with the Jews' religion, which, by the way, the word religion just means observation or worship. Um, and so and so it's dealing with the Jews religion, the Jews observation or worship of Jehovah God, the God of the Old Testament in their sense. Of course, we know that that is Jesus. The Jews to this day, for the most part, are blinded and still don't know that. That's partially why 
we will be taken out and we will go into this season that we just read about in Revelation. Uh, well, that's in large part because God's going to restore Israel, just like Romans 9 uh, talks about. All right, and then you have James 1.26. If you're taking notes, Acts 26.5, Galatians 1.13, Galatians 1.14. You can look up those references, Acts 26.5, Galatians 1.13, and Galatians 1.14. Deal with the Jews' religion, all three of those. And then you have another reference in James 1.26, and it literally says man's religion. Uh, if you don't bridle the tongue... That's what it's talking. You guys know the verse there in, in James one twenty six. It's talking about man's religion, and then it comes right after that in verse twenty seven. So two of the references have back to back references to religion. Galatians one thirteen and fourteen, and James uh, one twenty six and twenty seven. I'll just read that real quick. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, be not deceived, uh, but be deceived of his own heart. This man's religion is vain. You got a man's religion. If you don't have control of the tongue, that's man's religion. And then in the next verse, it goes on to say, pure religion, pure observation, pure worship, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. It's, it's in essence, love and holiness. Uh, love and holiness. Loving people and loving God. I always say love God and love people, but in this case, it re- appears in reverse order. Loving the weak among us. And honor those that are weaker and then love God. And so, and of course, James has a dual application also to the Jews that will be quickened in the coming tribulation. But in essence, a dying to self, a pure, a pure observation of the law is to die to self and love God and love people. That is the keeping of the law. That's what we observe. And we obviously observe that in Christ because Jesus Christ is our Passover, as we know, and we celebrate as often as we do with the Lord's Supper. So we worship the one true God. What's the real thing? Well, the real thing is what is written. It's in this. Not only that, we got the book. We have the book, and we have the book. I mean, in English, it's the King James Bible. So we've got the pure word, and Satan wants to corrupt that. He's doing a good job right now. He's got a new. Eventually, this book right here. If you want to know where all this attack is going, uh, we've got a whole month now of of perversion, pride. You know, Silent P is where that's all about. Anybody know what Silent P is about? Get this down. This will get me knocked off of YouTube, probably. It's it's pedophilia. LGBTQXYZ. I don't care what other letters you put out there. As far as I'm concerned, I got a book on my desk right now. It's perverse. Got it out of our library. One of the parents brought it in and said, have a look at this. Exempt from the way they feel. Exempt is actually one of the phrases they use, but I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it's supposed to be like you're just supposed to accept that this is how they are. Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta get this. Say that again for the, for the benefit of those like Bobby and Leela and all those that. Might so I have a child so that you know I have Colton, and mm-hmm. I very much do pay attention to this stuff. Um, so the LGBTQ plus community is trying to add these people into their community. And what they're saying is that they can't help to feel the way that they do about these children and that we're just supposed to accept them and, and treat them like their people. And it, they're supposed to be exempt from the way they feel about children. And it's very sick. Oh, you're perverse. talking about the pedophilia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very perverse. It's very wrong. And I don't even know how it has a leg to stand on. 
it's demonic. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I agree. It's just satanic uh, to, 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 to just allow perverts to prey on children. is It's the essence of an abomination and perversion. So that's, <clears throat> and that is obvious, you're right, that is part of what's being normalized. Twenty-some years ago I did a message here uh, when a, a, a professor up here at UMKC um, came out with a theory. You know, NAMBLA was a thing, North American Man-Boy Love Association, and uh, he came out, I forget the, the fellow's name, but he was a professor at UMKC, and he's like, well, we should just study, you know, what she's talking about, the, the validity of pedophilia. And the whole nation went crazy. It made national news. It was on NPR. It was on BBC. It was everywhere. And uh, and I got up in this pulpit. I mean, the church was, we, I think we were in this building. <clears throat> so it wasn't that long ago, 2007 or beyond. And I, I made the statement. I said, you know, when I was a kid, Homosexuality was taboo, forbidden. We laughed about it, joked about the light and the loafers, you know, stuff like that. It was all funny and lighthearted, and we just kind of felt sorry for those folks and whatever. But you watch. It's, at that time, it was becoming mainstream. Um, and uh, eventually, this pedophilia at the time, it, you know, when it came out, the whole world was just like, oh, you know, that's terrible. And it is, as they should be. It's unnatural. It's unholy. It's wicked. Um, and now, you're right. It's trying to be mainstream, the fact that, you know, there's no judgment, and that's demonic. It's wicked. It's satanic, because it's it's basically the destruction of innocence. In the proper term, yeah, yeah. You don't use the word "gay" in the proper context in English anymore, right? Nobody would, uh, you know, <clears throat> allow that. So, okay. So now, what's that got to do with? With Babylonian religion, um, well, basically, when you get into paganism in general, you blur the lines on all. Not it's ultimately about transhumanism, so it's not really about just perverting your. It's it's not just about perverting innocence, though it is. And it's, the devil's always about innocence from the garden. I mean, that's what he's always about is destroying innocence. So that's why I say it's satanic. When you when you are not, there's nothing binding you from destroying innocence, and you have an agenda to destroy in the innocence. That's wicked. That's the only way to describe it. Now, we love our enemies. We're not, I'm not like going out to lop anybody's head off. But I do want to see all men everywhere to get saved. I mean, because that's the only solution is Jesus Christ. That is the only solution. And the thing is, is that <clears throat> um, uh, the, the truth is what the Bible says. So we know there's two genders. There's male and female. That's it. That's, I mean, that, you don't have to argue about it. We don't need to get into that here. We know that. But the Babylonian religion, and when you hear about a term like that, you might think, well, who really cares about some old, boring religious system from centuries ago? Um, you know, uh, the reason this is is important in our understanding is is uh, you know not to go and tell everybody uh, you know about pagan belief systems uh, you know and find out you know there's a there's a pagan thing in every under every rock because in, the fact of the matter is in our culture there's remnants of pagan imagery in everything from our calendars uh, to uh, you know named by the gods. Um, of each month to Christmas and Easter, which are after pagan deities, the, the timing of them, fertility gods, the same gods. The bunny rabbit, right, is a, is a remnant of the fertility cult. Um, uh, you know, where do Easter eggs come from, Ashtaroth and Tammuz and all of those things. So there's a lot of things that, that tie into that. Uh, the Christmas tree is talked about in, in uh, Jer- I believe it's Jeremiah chapter 14. You know, they're worshiping the, uh, the Baal tree. And all, so all of those things, we we know those things. And and our God created those things. We don't get too bent around the axle. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, 
All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient, right? All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now that's a, that you can go home with that. The body is not for fornication. It's for the Lord. Now God has made, uh, when it comes to sexual appetites, he's made a way for that to be satisfied within the context of marriage. Bottom line. Yes, ma'am. That's 1 Corinthians six twelve through 15. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us, uh, up us by his own power. Know ye not that our bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a harlot? God forbid. All right. So now Paul is at Corinth. So he's literally talking about the Corinthians going down to the temple and picking up a, a temple prostitute and having a adultery or fornication he's like god forbid you're christians your body is not meant for that go home to your wife um do not be with a harlot um that's that's just absolutely crazy for a christian to do that that's what he's saying don't do that but and also when you look at what we talked about there is a mystery babylon religion and she is the mother of harlots she's seductive so spiritually speaking too don't get caught up in her web when you read proverbs and you look at the whorish woman She's seductive. What did John say? She, he looked at her and wondered. She's attractive, right? She was seductive. And so, uh, and so the, the Bible's like gives us warnings. Now, this is a very historical, literal, he's talking very, very literally about fornication here, but there's also a spiritual dynamic to that because the devil knows how to draw people into, um, to, uh, his web, so to speak. So Paul told Timothy that, that we are not given the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, 1 Timothy 1, 7. So we don't have to fear every symbol of paganism. However, we've got to be careful how we, we identify ourselves. It's one thing to wear a cross, which is a pagan instrument of torture, right, um, in representation of Christ. Or to have a fish symbol, which is really based on the god Dagon most of the time uh, in history, um, you know, I'm not mad about it. You have liberty to do that. I'm not even concerned about those things. Um, you know, that's you, that's fine because it does represent Christ. Christ died on a cross, right? And so, um, and Jesus Christ rose again, and uh, and so praise the Lord. Uh, people in our culture do not identify <clears throat> those things with their pagan origins anymore, right? And so, nobody is saying January we're worshiping the Greek god, you know. Janus in January. Nobody thinks about those things right now, which is great. So, however, as we enter the arena of Babylonian religion, what alarms the the Christian Bible believer is not ancient symbolism used by pagans, but the pattern of Satan to steal the glory of the kingdom of God. And it's edifying to understand why God was so careful to point this out to those who believe his word, because it has and will continue to play a critical role in the battle for the kingdom. And so I'm going to just turn back to Genesis chapter 10. Let's look at the origins of this. Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8. And I, I submit to you, you could probably go pre, you know, really Genesis chapter, before Genesis chapter 10, you have Genesis 6. So a lot of this stuff was just held over from before the flood. Or, but nonetheless, we see it very clearly here uh, in regard to civilization on the earth in Genesis chapter 10. And verse, let's just skip to verse 8. It says, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. So this is after the Noah, Genesis 6, Genesis 8, 
a new beginning. Eight's a number, a new beginning. And be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth is now the mission of God <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 1. Um, the human government is instituted in Genesis, I said chapter 1, Genesis chapter 8. In Genesis chapter 8, uh, in Genesis chapter 9, um, uh, you know, there's human government instituted, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, all those things. And so uh, now we have generations populating, and we get to this man Nimrod, who began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Uh, wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And so uh, this this is a little mysterious about what he's hunting. You know, some people think he was able, he was hunting people. Um, I don't know if he's hunting what he was hunting, but it is a little bit odd that this is such a big deal. He's a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even Nimrod is a mighty hunter before the Lord. And in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of the land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh and the city of Rehoboth and Kala. Now we know from history about the ziggurats and the worship of, of gods with a small g out of this region. And the first mention of Babylon um, is this passage, and it sets the context for our understanding of the origins of the ancient city. So if we're going to talk about mystery, Babylon, religion, it would help us to kind of have some concepts of of you know what we're talking about. So Babylon was founded by Nimrod. He's the first kingdom, in essence, ever. He's this one man that's running things. And he was part of three major cities, which uh, throughout Scripture have, have problems with demonic pagan religion. Every one of those cities. The big three were Babylon, Nineveh, and Rezin. And they all had pagan problems throughout the whole Bible. Now, Nineveh, of course, you guys know Jonah. He went to Nineveh. They repented for a season. And then after they repented later on, they didn't repent, and God wiped them all out again. So he gave them some grace before he wiped them off the planet. Um, but the, <clears throat> but we and Nineveh, by the way, is modern-day. Anybody know the modern-day city of Nineveh? Kind of got a cool story with Heartland. So this is a true story. So we had a, a brother come in here from Mexico, and... Um, he was a friend of Pastor Manuel Estebani for a vision conference. I don't even remember much about him. I remember being here, but I didn't, I didn't think much about it. I mean, he was a cool guy. He was here. He was doing ministry. Nice to meet you. He just happened to come in. Anyway, he emails me in the middle. You remember that ISIS was a big deal, and everybody was it was just terrible over there. Anyway, he was in Mosul, the city of Mosul. Mosul is an, is modern is a, is the modern name for Nineveh. But he emails me. I'm in Nineveh. I'm like, Nineveh? Mosul. He calls it Nineveh. And he goes, uh, God called me to Nineveh when I was at your conference. And I was like, what? You know? I didn't think, I didn't believe it. I was like, this is a, this is one of those mail emails. I can't believe it. Who is this? I thought it was, honestly, I thought it was an ISIS person kind of stringing me along, honestly. I was like, who is this? Some ISIS person got my email here trying to bait me into something, trying to scam some money out of me. And so, <clears throat> make a long story short, it's a true story. I verified his identity, and sure enough, uh, he was a Mexican, who went, a Mexican missionary, not not an American missionary, a Mexican missionary, uh, I believe it was from Mexico City, goes over to Nineveh and gets ran out of Mosul because uh, between the war between ISIS and whoever and you know the whole thing, and uh, he had to go up into Kurdistan there um, and hang out. 
I don't know where he's at now. I kind of lost track of him, but I verified that that was the case. So modern, that's why I know modern-day Nineveh, or modern-day Mosul, is Nineveh. And one of the big problems they had when uh, ISIS took over is they, just, they were destroying a bunch of ancient artifacts that have been left from all the way back to the time of these ancient civilizations. And by the way, they're pagan. It's pagan in nature. But they are precious. And so those, uh, Muslim, those Muslim you know, extremists go in there and they want to wipe out all that paganism. But, you know, good for them. But they're still worshiping it anyway. But anyhow, moving on. So Babylon is the cities who, whose ruins are able to be visited today as well in Iraq. So these are like literal places. There's no doubt about it. <clears throat> and Babylon is noted in history for a lot of things. Uh, called the land of the Chaldeans, the land of Shinar, land of uh, Marathon, the desert in, uh, in, of the sea. Uh, Shishak, Lady of Kingdoms, called the Golden City, called the, the, the Glory of Kingdoms, uh, called the Beauty of the Chaldeans in Isaiah thirteen nineteen, called the City of Merchants in Ezekiel seventeen four, called Babylon the Great in Daniel four thirty. Uh, Babylon the capital of is has been there since Genesis eleven four. If you just go over to chapter eleven and verse four, it says, um, and they said, Go, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven and let us make a name that we should be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Where did that happen at? Those in that same area there where Babylon is at. It's not named by name there, though. I've got to be clear about that. But Genesis 11:9 it says, Therefore is the name of, the, of it called Babel, uh, because the, the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Babel on. Babylon. And so... Um, uh, it's remarkable for its antiquity, its naval power in Isaiah 43:13, its military power, Jeremiah 5:16, national greatness in Isaiah 13:19, its wealth, Jeremiah, and I could go on and on. Its inhabitants have always been idolatrous, Jeremiah 50:38, Daniel 3:18, addicted to magic, as we know from you know the time of Daniel, profane and, and sacrilegious, uh, wicked, uh, arrogant. And represented by a great eagle. Uh-oh. A head of gold as well. Daniel 2.32, Daniel 2.37, Daniel 2.38, right? Babylon, the king. Nebuchadnezzar, that head of gold. Um, but Ezekiel 17.3 has it as a as an eagle. Daniel 7.4, lion with eagle's wings. How many of you have looked at the gates of Babylon? you got the lion with eagle's wings. What's that look a lot like? Looks a lot like England, doesn't it? The lion with the eagle's wings. And then you have um, <clears throat> those ambassadors that were sent to Hezekiah. Of course, they sacked ancient Israel, and God used them to judge Israel. They have an ancient king in Nimrod and Babel, and the famed Nebuchadnezzar came in 600 B.C., really before that as well. So God used Nebuchadnezzar as a tool of judgment against the idolatrous children of Israel. It was not Nebuchadnezzar's influence that corrupted the children of Israel, but the influence of false religion stemming from the Assyrians and the Egyptians which is, in essence, the same religious system that you see in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Okay, so Israel, when they were being developed at their apex, uh, they had David and Solomon um, before, you know, they were attacked. It deteriorates, and they go into captivity. Uh, Jerusalem is burned in 2 Kings 25.9. Zedekiah is taken into captivity. Um, and it's spoiled, and, and they burn the temple in Second Second Kings twenty five nine. And I got a list of, of other chapters here, but for time's sake, I'm not going to get into that. And so there's an ancient agenda that we see in Genesis chapter eleven, and it's to have a unified kingdom. 
And God had an agenda for Israel, right, which was to unify around David. So it's kind of shadowing what God's people were going to do. Um, and so uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 8, the Bible says, So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. And therefore is the name of, of, the, of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So we see here that they had one language, and then God confounds the language, and they get scattered upon all the earth. Um, and then in Acts chapter 2, what happened when Jesus comes? Everyone hears in their own language this huge sign to the Jews. Why? Because they're the real kingdom. They're the real, they're the real promises of God, not Babylon. Uh, God's got a plan, and these people were short-circuited. They were getting out ahead of God. And they had a man, one man that was a ruler. His name was Nimrod. Uh, there's coming a man that's going to try to unify the world, and he's going to try to be king of the world. And it ain't going to be Jesus. Jesus is coming after that. He's the real king of kings and the Lord of lords. So there's, there's a false religious system. There's a false king, as we read about. His name is the beast. There's a false religious bride. She is the harlot. Jesus died on the cross for his bride. Satan destroys his bride. He lets his buddies destroy her. And they split the, split the goods, so to speak. He destroys his wife. God died for his. Okay, so in Babylon, in Genesis 11, 8, and 9, we have a unified kingdom, a one-world government under the leader Nimrod, whose name means rebellion or the valiant. Uh, he, he's a one-world leader with a one-world government, a one-world language. The only problem with the universal kingdom is that Jesus Christ is the only man qualified to run it. That is way above Nimrod's pay grade. He is a fallen, endemic human. He is not qualified for this. And so the kingdom was harmful to humanity, so God put a stop to it in Genesis, you know, and, and he puts, a, puts the brakes on it. And so the reason I've gone to all these links to explain the origin and makeup of Babylon is because there's, there's more to Satan's agenda than just symbolism. We really, he really, really wants universal control of the souls of men because they represent the potential members of the kingdom of God. And the motive is the most important thing to see because Satan does not want to see Adam's race advance in, a, in the way God has designed it. He's been after us since Adam and Eve were in the garden. And by the way, notice that Satan does, does through humans his building of kingdoms. And when he does it, it, it is not to help humanity. It ultimately corrupts humanity, which is what is abundantly obvious. Right? That's, that's in essence, the one thing that... The founding fathers of the United States actually got a hold of is that you problem with kingdoms is you can't trust men. So let's try to do let's try to divide up the powers so we because we can't trust men, you can't trust free men any more than you can trust tyrants. So let's divide this up and slow down the decay, you know. And let's go let's have a and they all not all of them but most of them believed you had to have a moral system where you worship God to have any hope, because this system of government that we have in this nation, a republic form of government, does not work. Unless the people are governed internally. And they broke up the whole cabal, man. They got rid of all the monarchy, the whole thing. I mean, they tried something new. And uh, it worked pretty good for a season. And, man, we, we went through our judgments, too. Right? From slavery. I mean, the Civil War killed, still to this day killed more Americans than any other war. I mean, that has been the most bloodiest war. Because God's judgment was coming down. You say, oh, we're free. And then you keep people in slavery. God's like, no, I don't think so. And so a lot of bloodletting went on over that. So there's this also not just this this political type of unification, but there's a belief system that goes with this Babylonian concept. 
and it's the fingerprints of false worship. In Job 41:13, uh, the Bible Job speaks of these these two bridles. And I wish I had more time. I talked to you a little bit more about Israel. Just just before I get into these two bridles, I just want you to kind of lay next to Babylon what God was doing with Israel. Uh, at its apex, David and Solomon ruled, and, and and of course it deteriorated, went into captivity. The times of the Gentiles started with a Babylonian rule in 606 B.C., as I mentioned, until Harry Truman in 1948. The fig tree becomes fruitful in 1968 with the modern uh, wars, and Israel has not yet been born again spiritually, just physically. But the Messiah arrived, uh, in the, you know, and he's been here, but they didn't receive him. But when he returns at the end of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, he's going to bring one world government. He's going to have a one-world religion. He's going to have a one-world peace program, right? Those are all the things, the things you're hearing today. I mean, there's no, what, are, what is going on here? We're trying to have all the things that God is going to bring without God. It's a godless system. Israel rejected the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Matthew 21, 43. And the kingdom of God was taken away and given to the church, the Gentile bride. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was called. In Acts 10, 44 through 48, the Gentiles were saved by grace through faith. In 70 AD, Titus invaded Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. General Titus took care of that. There was no more worship going on at the temple and won't be again until we get to what we read about in Revelation. The next thing you see going on in the temple is an abomination that makes desolate. Probably, I believe, human sacrifice. I don't know if it's just going to be babies on the altar or humans, probably humans, probably of all sorts. Uh, It's a mess. By 100 AD, though, this Bible is already canonized. We got the whole new whole Bible, got the New Testament, Old Testament. Masoretics keep the the Jewish Old Testament. The uh, the the Greek uh, gets preserved uh, through several lines and even old italic and things like that god brings his word through so uh eventually we have in english uh we have the whole word of god in our language <clears throat> the antichrist bride develops alongside the bride of christ which is where i'm going with this the antichrist bride is developing alongside the bride of christ all right so we're in the old testament we're talking about a king and a kingdom but you get to this thing, Alexandria versus Antioch. And if you know much about our studies around here about the two lines in the Bibles, that's where the corruption of the word of God begins. So today the church is waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. We're waiting for our husband, the Antichrist. He's got a bride. He's preparing. Israel's waiting on her Messiah, though they don't realize they missed her. Missed, they, she doesn't realize they missed him. The world is waiting on fundamentalists to be marginalized so they can complete their one-world government, their one-world religion, their one-world economy, and have their one-world leader. Because y'all are getting in the way. And this one-world leader will be the son of perdition. Just as he controlled the money uh, of the disciples, he will also sell out the bride. Because he likes a whore, a whore perdition. To give him absolute power. So false religion will unify under one one word, and that's peace. Eastern religions will have their guru. Islam will have the return of their Messiah. Roman <clears throat> Romans and reformers will have their millennial Messiah. 
Israel will be beguiled for a remnant, except for a remnant who will eventually be restored and as they resist the Antichrist. And what used to sound like science fiction is now very plausible. And when I accepted Christ 30 years ago, I didn't even understand the technology to pull it off. So there's a radical ecumenical movement, a government, environmental movement, and there's an economy uh, that is coming, and they're trying to get the ESG going right now. So it's all coming down the pipe. And so it started with Charlemagne, and it's moved on through um, the global markets and the erosion of national sovereignty and, and all the things that we're getting to today. So what's that got to do with with uh, where we are in the text? We'll turn to Job 41. I'll give you another little key to this puzzle. And I've only got about 15 more minutes, so I'm going to try to... I don't know that I'm going to get through my PowerPoint. This may have to be part one, and we'll come back to part two. Um, we'll see how far I can go today. I'm going to try to squeeze all this in and see. But anyway, we'll see where we go. Oh, got to go this way. Anybody got it? Job, Job 41 and verse... Um, Job 41.13. Give that a read. I'm looking for it. Let me put it on the mic. Wherever that is. Do I have it? Job 41.13. Thanks. Who can discover the face of his garment? Or who can come to him with his double bridle? Thank you, Bob. So Job here is talking about Leviathan. And Leviathan is, is just another terminology for, for Satan there. He's a, obviously a real creature, kind of like a, kind of a dinosaur-like creature there. But at the end of the day, Leviathan, as you go through the characteristics here, we find is you know, all the attributes, like verse 15, the scales are his pride and shut up together as, with a close seal and so on and so forth. But one of the things is that, that Bob just read is that he's got this double bridle in verse 13. And, um, and so, it speaks to the two bridles. Revelation 2.13 also speaks to having a, a synagogue and a seat of Satan. In the, in the Revelation chapter 2, there's a synagogue of Satan, and then there's a seat of Satan. Okay? And I think I'll get along here enough just to give you a taste, and then we'll probably come back later and we'll finish this up. But in Job 41.13, it speaks to these two bridles Satan uses. Just as the kingdom of Christ is both spiritual and physical... He is the Savior of the world and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Satan's false kingdom has two bridles. One is a religious system of false worship, and the other is a political system. Since we're comparing belief systems that do not agree with Scripture, I want to emphasize the religion aspect. Having said that, you'll find that anywhere Antichrist is at work in religion, politics and economy are not far behind. And this is historically the case. As a matter of fact, it's only in, in the last couple hundred years that, that, like in this nation, we've actually separated out church from state. There's a reason they did that. It wasn't to protect the state from the church. It was to protect, well, it was to protect the state from the church in the sense of the monarchy and Charlemagne and the church taking over the government. But it's also to protect the church from the government. So if we teach something that the government doesn't agree with, they don't have the right to come in here and kill me, which is how it was before the revolution. So if I say, if I don't say, God bless the king, my head's off, right? That's how it rolled uh, before 1776. Um, and so today you can say whatever you want about the president, and there's no death penalty. That's, that's, that's because they separated that out. But at any rate, I digress. <clears throat> Satan's 
uh, works, his religious system and his political economic system are going to go together. There's two bridles. And so let me just kind of show you some stuff here. Uh, I went, this is the, so I went, I, I really got these out of order, but there's a seat dwelling place of Satan. And it's under, it's critical to understand that the, the, the Pontifus Maximus, um, this is in Babylonian history. Uh, it, the uh, priest Attilus was um, selling the Babylonian religion. And I'm, I've got my notes out of order, but um, in 316, I believe, no, that was, that was, uh, here, I got my notes on this. I'll jump to this. There was a king, a priest king, priest king, right? Just like we're kings and priests. There was a priest king in the Babylonian religion because the Babylonian religious system was going in 133 B.C., the problem is Babylon was taken over by the Medes and the Persians. You guys know about that. So when that happened, they moved the seat, the seat, and the religious system to Pergamos. It, Pergamos, like the Church Revelation, and so there's a seat and there's a synagogue, and that's a that's actually the that's the actual replication of it. And uh, right there is a, a live one in Germany. They have it replicated. The seat and the dwelling place of Satan right there in Europe. So you can go in the museum and look at it and see what it looked like in Pergamos. Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the mystery Babylon religion, that system, made its way from Babylon to Pergamos. That's historical fact. That's not, a, that's not speculation. Attilus was the priest of Babylon and the king of Babylon, rightful heir to the throne. But Persians were in charge. That's why he wasn't in Babylon, because he would get killed. So he sold he sold the seat and the influence and the synagogue to Rome, who was up and coming. And that was critical. The historian Justin records that Atlas, Atlas was his name, if you're writing these things down, Atlas, A-T-T-A-L-U-S, willed his kingdom and title to the Romans. Why would he do that? Why would he will his, his title to the Romans? Huh? Yeah, to have protection against the the Persians. <laughs> That's why he doesn't he doesn't want no Persians on his case, right? So he's he he makes a deal. He gives his will. He wills his title and and his you know his uh, authority to the Romans, who are pagans, by the way. So they get to add another god to their pantheon. Um, and we do that in 133 BC. So Jesus Christ isn't quite here yet. There's some pesky Jews, by the way, having a revival about that time. And uh, and uh, there's a, there's prophecies and, and being fulfilled, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and all of those kind of things are going on. But anyway, so he does this in Pergamum, and when Babylon was invaded by the Persians, it's critical it's critical in history to watch that movement of Satan. So the historian Justin records that Atlas he willed his title to the Romans. Atlas was given the title Magian, and later in in, in 366 A.D., a Babylonian priest took sole right of the Bishopric and became the Latin form of the phrase Pontifus Maximus, which I think I put up here. The, the, the title for the Babylonian priesthood is Pontifus Maximus in Latin. And that's if that's familiar to you, that's because we call it, that's what they call the head of the Roman Church to this day is the Pontiff. The office of Pontifus Maximus means chief bridge builder. And you say, well, so what? Well, the Babylonian Magian or Roman Pontifus Maximus spanned the gap between the mortals and I would say Satan. They would say God. 
But the Pontifus Maximus was the bridge builder, and he spanned the, ga- the chasm. So this is why several years ago when this came, I was studying Revelation, and I didn't know all this. And I was studying it out. First time it hit me, this is 20 years ago. And at the time, there was this book out. It was real popular with all the church. I didn't have a lot of church planning resources. I was reading everything I could get, you know, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church. And then, then there's this other church uh, about um, the Church of Irresistible Influence. And the whole and this whole book was about building bridges. <laughs> and I'm, as at the same time, I'm studying this. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm convicted. I do not want to build bridges anymore. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and you know what God gave me? It was awesome. I, I still remember it. He gave me the revelation of crossing bridges without, or crossing rivers without bridges. And uh, some of you, like the Grants, you may have been around the church when I preached that. I preached a whole series on that uh, at a vision conference about crossing rivers. This church is going to cross rivers without bridges. Because why? That's what you see in the Bible. Bridges are noticeably absent in the Bible. Did they have bridges in the Old Testament? Sure they did. They had bridges. But they're absent in the Bible. I'm like, hmm, wonder why that is. Even in the New Testament. I don't think they're, I don't know, look it up. Are there bridges in the Bible? I don't know. I don't think so. Chief bridge builder. Interesting. And that bridge is, of course, you know, almost like building a stairway to heaven. But anyhow, I digress. So the original Pontifus Maximus was a high priest, and, and he was pre-Christian, of course, and it was Roman religion. So the concept of this went to here. They moved it to Rome. Uh, <clears throat> Augustus is... is uh, so before there was the Roman Catholic Church, there was the Regia, the Col- College of Pontiffs. So the pagan Roman religion had a place. That place is still there. You can go see it. Um, and in ancient Rome, and they had a place with a college of cardinals before there was a Roman Catholic Church. That's the truth. That's history. So the seat, the dwelling place of Satan, the Pontifus, the, the vicarious representative of Christ on earth, is the role of the Pope, the priest, which is the Babylonian priesthood, just transferred to Rome. That's why I'm I'm very confident in saying Rome is and has been the seat and synagogue of Satan. I mean, heck, the new guy. What's the new guy's name? Pope, Pope, Pope Body, Francis. Oh, Francis. He says there's demons in this place. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is. <laughs> so there's devils in this place. Yeah, there sure is, pal. And so, you know, so the pontiff is the vicarious representative of Christ on earth. He is the connection. And I don't think all Roman Catholics, by the way, when I say these things, I got to let me phrase this. I don't have any problem. I love Catholic people, period. Catholic people are the one are wonderful. And many of them are filled with faith. And I appreciate them. I appreciate Matt Walsh. I appreciate a lot of Catholics. I have no issues with Catholic people. And our church is full of Catholic people, by the way, because Catholics are born physically, typically. They don't come in through adult catechism very often. I say all that to say this, though. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the system. The system. We know that the, we know that the system is seductive. We've been told that in the Bible. I get why people have been. I was, I was almost seduced by her before I got saved. I mean, I walked out of Six Mile Baptist Church, told my wife, well, I'm going to become a Catholic because there were things about Roman Catholicism that I found attractive. If I wanted to be right and religious, I think I better go there. They're the, after all, they're the oldest church in the world, you know, is what I was thinking at the time before I knew my Bible. And so I get it. So I'm not, I'm not beating up on Catholic people. I'm just telling you the system is what it is. I'm not your friend if I don't tell you the truth. It's not, it's not personal. 
there's born, I know born again Catholics that, hey, the Reformation, a lot of Roman Catholic priests uh, got born again. You know, John Knox was a Roman Catholic priest. He got saved. Uh, Zwingli got saved. He was a Roman Catholic priest. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. God can save anybody anywhere. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about the system. There's a reason a few years ago, Ian Paisley got up at the UN and said, I decry the Pope for he is the very Antichrist. Because <laughs> historically that's who he is. But moving on. All right, so what Satan cannot stop from without, he'll destroy from within. Revelation 2.14. So he, he has a, a synagogue. He has a religious system. And, um, and, and of course, I'm pointing you here to Baal, the prophet uh, who, who stole the blessing uh, from Israel. Uh, Revelation 2.14. He, he has a priest system. Um, the European monarchs, by the way, just to kind of finish up this thought about Satan's seat. It was consolidated under, in Rome under Constantine in 316 A.D., and the title of the Church of Rome was given to the Supreme Pontiff in 378 A.D. So that term in the, in the Roman Church wasn't given to the Pontiff. It was under pagan authority until 378 A.D. Before that, pagan priests held that. And then it was given to the Roman Catholic uh, leader, 378 A.D. On Christmas Day, 800 A.D., Pope Leo III placed the crown upon the head of Charlemagne. And Charlemagne was already, you know, he was already the emperor of France, but or the, at that time it would be, I think, the Franks. But Charlemagne supposedly prayed over him and crowned him as, and declared him as emperor. And that marked a strategic turn in the strategy of Satan concerning the seat of in the synagogue, because now the kings of the earth would come to the seat of Satan to be anointed by the pontiff, who is the vicar of God. And so when that stroke on Christmas Day, when he anoints Charlemagne, he becomes the authority that grants Charlemagne the power. Now he goes to war for Rome. They get a league together. There's two bridles. It's religious and political. So if I'm some vicar somewhere, or some vicar, if I'm some duke or I'm some prince somewhere in some monarchy somewhere, and I've got my serfs, and I'm, I've got my little kingdom going on, and I don't operate with Rome. Guess what? They're liable to just send an army over here to straighten me out because this is tied together. There's two bridles. One's religious and one's political. When the heat gets hot on the, the political slash military, you can run into the Roman church, right? And when, that, when the heat gets hot in the Roman church, you can run over to the political it's just it's been working that way the best example that i ever saw of that was in the 80s when i was a young christian and i watched uh manuel noriega you remember, remember that fella so george bush the, the the old george bush um senior he gets fired up over the drug cartels coming up uh, manuel noriega actually who was the de facto leader of panama and uh he's uh he's like oh, we're gonna do a war on drugs so he sends the special forces down to panama I don't know what Manuel did, but he honked off, you know, the CIA and George Bush Sr. And so they send the military after him. And they cha- and the U.S. military, I mean, they didn't ask permission. They just did it. You know, you got paratroopers and guys coming down ropes, and they got military gear on the ground. They're chasing Manuel Noriega. It's on the news at night, you know, and everybody's watching what's going on. And, and all of a sudden, Manuel Noriega runs into the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, all of a sudden, all the, all the, everything stops and there's a showdown. And I'm sitting here watching this going, what? Like, 
if we had some, if, if Pablo Escobar, who's the biggest, who's the guy that just escaped from, uh, and they got him in prison now down here? El Chapo, right? El Chapo's over here in Colorado, you know, some super high security, you know, Marvel movie type of set. You know, he's stuck in a high security prison. And somehow they, they bore him out again. You know, he gets out of there. He walks through the wall. I don't know. He comes. You think if they're chasing El Chapo across the United States, they're chasing him down I-70, and he takes a right turn on 49 going south and comes to Heartland and runs in this building. You think they're going to do anything? Do you think they're going to stop at the front door when I walk out and say, I'm sorry. This is a house of peace. Stop right there and we'll negotiate. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they, they could. He works for us. Well, there's a reason Manuel ran there. Because if you know anything about... Well, I won't get into that. There's a whole other thing. But I digress. There's a lot of money going on. A lot of laundry. But uh, Manuel runs into this place. And all and the United States Army stops. And they start negotiating. And they negotiate him out. And the cool thing about that is he ends up going and extraditing. They ended up, I don't know how much we paid him, but they end up probably paying off Rome or whatever. They negotiate a deal. They turn Manuel over to the United States. He doesn't die instantly. They put him in a prison in Florida. And praise God, you know what happened? Manuel Noriega got saved. Hallelujah. He became a born-again believer. I would love to have had time to visit with Manuel Noriega and find out what in the world was going on, but I sure he probably wouldn't have told me anyway. Anyway, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. But some some uh, Bible believer went in there preaching the word of God. The guy got saved and became a disciple of Jesus Christ. But that was crazy. I've never seen anything quite like that. I'm like, wow. You know, if he'd have ran to the local Baptist church in Panama, there would be like there would be like. Um, There'd be like tank tracks over the top of that. <laughs> Just bulldoze it and keep on going. They wouldn't have given. They wouldn't have cared at all. There's some power there, is what I'm saying, folks. There's a reason why Nancy Pelosi goes over and talks to the Pope. I mean, there's a reason for those things. But anyway, uh, the European monarchs built upon the power and authority of the seat and synagogue of Satan, and we know that. You know about King Henry VIII. So he broke off from that power and started his own deal. And and there's been war ever since, and we're kind of caught up in that. Um, and so it's hard to break free from the power of the pontiff. I'm just telling you. And Satan, what he can't stop from without, he will destroy from within. And so a Vatican City is the only city-state representing the United Nations historically that have had voting power until recently, and then they dropped it, and I don't know if they'll get it back again, but we'll see. So, oops, I'm out of time. Boy, I was gonna I was gonna talk to you about these two bridles some more, but I'm gonna have to pause right there. All right. So, um, if you take some time to study Pergamus, you'll, you'll see how this system moves. And um, when we I when I come back, I'm gonna be out for a couple of Wednesdays. So, um, when we get back, I will take this. And I will run it all the way up to environmentalism, pre-Christian paganism, and some of the current religious activities that you see today. And that will get us started on really being able to talk about all the other comparative religions. Okay? Let me pause real quick. Any questions? (laughs) 
<laughs> like, yeah, yeah, Roger. It's called the Commonwealth Games. It was last year. Someone can Google it right now, and you'll find it on YouTube, unless they've wiped it off. But they haven't. They're all proud of that. So Commonwealth Games. Go go watch the woman ride the beast. It's amazing. It's, like, really crazy to watch. It's like, wow. You couldn't, like, could, couldn't get any more vivid than that. So, all right. So let me let me wrap up here and just say this. I know it sounds like, it sounds like, Brian, you were like, well, you went and took some crazy juice here. So I'm really just giving you guys a little bit of what you already know is coming in Revelation. The thing is now, as you can see in, in real time, what is coming. So you can just connect the dots. Um, don't have a spirit of fear. These systems have been around for centuries. And greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. The fact that I'm able to be on the Internet and talk about these things, I mean, what a wonderful country we live in still. Um, and so I, I, want, I, I do want you to know that you are unique in the world, even still, uh, for now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and at the end of the day, um, the, it doesn't really matter about religious systems. We know they're all going to get judged. What matters is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason we're called Baptists is we come from a group of people that, that have held to the, the word of God in literal interpretation. And whether they're Waldensians, they're Baptists, they're uh, Huguenots, uh, you know, you can go down through church history and find people who have held fast to the faithful word as they've been taught, and the word of God is preeminent. That's the freedom that we have here, and that's the freedom we want to keep. That's the freedom that we're going to take advantage of. That's why we're going to make Bibles, these Bibles in particular. And we're going to get them out as much as we can. Because what really makes people free is Jesus. He frees our souls from sin and death. And so uh, that's ultimately, nothing's changed. I mean, nothing, uh, don't get too caught up in all the geopolitical, it's fun for me. I love geopolitical activity, as you can tell. I mean, I, I keep an eye on these things just because it's like a hobby of mine. And I like to see these things. I could even talk more about stuff like that. But I don't know that it's edifying. What's really edifying is understanding that there are two bridles political and religious, they're going to coalesce in the coming tribulation under one man and his friends that we read about in Revelation 17. And they will be judged by one man, and that man is Jesus Christ. There is a counterfeit kingdom. There's a counterfeit king. There's a counterfeit God. There's a counterfeit religion. And and so those are the things that, that we are I'm kind of just setting forth. And there has been. There's nothing new under the sun. So what God was doing with Israel, what I was kind of setting forth tonight, and I flew over it real fast, is God was setting something up with his people Israel, and the devil was paralleling it all the way along. And so just be discerning and understand. Don't get caught up in that false stuff. Get, stay, hold fast to the faithful word as you have been taught, because it really is the Spirit of God that shows you stuff. I mean, some of the stuff, like the building bridges and stuff, you just, it's just like the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of other things like that I don't know, but I know that because God showed it to me, you know. And so, um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that God gives you in the Word of God. And without this book, you know nothing, as you ought to know, right? This is the only truth way in life. So stick to your Bible. Do the practical things, like read it every day. Uh, get the Word of God in you. And again, getting back to the, the original premise of all of this is if you know the real McCoy it's easy to spot a phony. 
Um, and so I will try when we get back to tie this also into um, where this is going, uh, because the, the, one of the premises I was wanting to get to tonight, Jeff Trude has pointed out that I mentioned it a lot, and that is that, you know, there's a religion called environmentalism. And so I'm going to try to get all that, those dots connected. Uh, before we jump off into some of the other Eastern religions and stuff like that. Because once you understand where that's all headed, it helps you see how those other things play into it. And then you're just like, oh, that's, that's so, that's so easy to see. Which is, that's ultimately my j- job is to help you all, um, the best I can and know how to have discernment. That's all. The only way to change anything is preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to do me any good to go down here at the amphitheater on a Sunday morning and preach what I just preached to anybody. What needs to be preached is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the answer. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. So I'm giving you guys things because you're Heartland folks, and we're going a little deeper, right? So I would encourage you, like, if I'm, like, way out ahead on this stuff and you think I'm crazy. I just had one of our members join the church. He says, Brian, I thought you were crazy. And I'm like, I know. Amy thinks I'm crazy, but uh, not really. She's uh, she doesn't anymore. But uh, <laughs> but <clears throat> she could attest to it. I've kind of been on this ever since the day I got saved. I mean, I was out there. I was telling. I mean, I was in Revelation world right from day one. So that's just how God saved me. Um, I was in times. That's how I got saved. So those things have kind of been things I've meditated on. But at the end of the day, at, at the end of the day, it's it's all about. Jesus Christ has been working, and I can say Jesus because in the Old Testament he was working. And he doesn't move as fast as we like to move. We're like, oh, when's the rapture coming? And when's this coming? When's that coming? It's coming when he says it's coming, right? And he'll do, he'll take us out when he takes us out. In the meantime, really the test is if you know all of these things and you know what's going on, what are you going to do with the truth, right? And that's the bigger challenge. Because if a lot of people have gone to sleep or things have been watered down or they don't really can't crystallize these things and see them, well, it's not quite their fault if they don't know any better. But to whom much is given, much is required. And even even with the knowledge that you end up getting about the Bible, it's important that, you are good, that we're good stewards of that. And so I'm not just saying that to you. I'm saying that to myself. It, you know, there's a lot of things and tangents we can get into. We can talk about all kinds of things. I could take a whole nother message and talk about genealogy and generations, even go deeper than we did Sunday and talk about and tie that into some of the things that are coming in Genesis six, that and all of those things. There's lots of crazy things that are going on in the Bible. But at the end of the day, what really, what changes somebody and gets them resurrected is Jesus. He's the one that changes us in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the power over our genetics is in Jesus Christ. So when you call upon the name of the Lord to get saved, something genetically changes. He's, the spiritual circumcision is real. And it's more real than we probably even realize. But we will at that last day. With that resurrection, man, we'll figure, not that last day, but the resurrection, we'll, we'll, we'll all see that, man, this book is so, so accurate. And it's all been here the whole time, and sometimes we just don't see it. So I did add, my admonition to you is, is love this book, believe this book, cry out to God and say, God, show me these things in the Bible. Show me. And you know what he'll show you is just practical things like, you know, don't gossip. <laughs> he'll show you, you know what, if any man's religion is, is this, and it's man's religion. But what I need you to do is love God and love people, right? So do those basic things and, uh, and these other things. It will help you love people who are beguiled, who are uh, taken in. 
Uh, you know, there's we got cults across this, the highway here, you know, that that believe, you know, I mean, we've gone to war with them. I see Jamie over here. I mean, he's gone to battle with them. We've all, I mean, these things go on all the time. And you've got to know that this Bible will make you, it, it, it answers all the questions. But if you don't have this book, you're going to be, you're going to be out of luck. You are not going to have answers. And the reason I'm doing this study is that we might have an answer for the hope that lies within us. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Let's stand together. You guys have been sitting a long time as we dismiss. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to get together.